Welcome to a special DOD to AEC episode of Inspiring People and Places, where throughout the month of November, we are interviewing veterans across the architectural, engineering, construction, and development industries. As always, our goal is to educate, innovate, and inspire industry professionals to disrupt the status quo, improve their project teams, and steward public and private investments more effectively. But more importantly this month, our goal is to highlight career paths of those who served in our military and continue to make an impact after military service in our industry. I'm your host, BJ Kramer, President and CEO of MCFA, a service-disabled veteran-owned small business focused on advising public and private clients with strategy, planning, program management, and construction management support services. Allow me to introduce today's guest. Welcome back, everybody. We are continuing our November Salute to Service Department of Defense to Architect Engineering Construction Initiative. And today I'm excited to have a recently transitioned active duty veteran, Tyson Barnhart, to talk about his career transition and his experiences thus far. Tyson, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, BJ. I appreciate the opportunity. I appreciate you taking the time. I think that your story is is a typical one, not atypical, but typical. And I think that you have the most, at least in in my network, a really recent example of somebody who left active duty and found opportunity in the industry. So before we go back to you know what led you to where you're at, talk to us about who you are today, what your role is, where you're working, and what you're doing. So I'm I'm currently so I just got off active duty in July of this year, and so I'm currently a senior project manager with Siemens uh, Energy Performance Services, and so that is ultimately uh, guaranteed savings projects for energy efficiency measures. So a lot of times, you know, it'll be with schools or municipalities or folks who budget their funds, uh, much like the government does, but might not necessarily have, you know the money to go and do other lighting or get into water savings or solar or the other things that are going to provide uh, cost savings long-term for utility use and uh, things like that. So the general model works as you know, Siemens will come in as a financing company and they get paid back over 15, uh, 20 years, whatever it might be, to basically implement it at no cost to the customer. So the customer realizes the savings um, and then Siemens also makes money. You know, so it's it's kind of a I think I view it as a win-win because you're you're ultimately getting folks products or these abilities that they wouldn't otherwise have. And you're, you know, you're making money while you're doing it. So it's I think it works out all around. Yeah. Energy savings performance contracts. We've talked about it on the show before. So understand the model and and I'll digest or I'll I'll kind of re-say it in my words, and you can correct me, but essentially a modernization project, new equipment, some some kind of new efficiency is is developed through an investigation, designed, Siemens comes in, finances the capital project, and then essentially has a payment structure to the to the client. And because the energy savings or the modernization project and energy savings is created between uh how they were originally executing their their business this this new technology this new design this new engineering this new construction creates a savings you take that delta and apply it towards payments yeah yeah basically 
And as a senior project manager, what part of that that project life cycle are you involved in and what are you doing? So it's interesting. That's an interesting question because my so my boss, he his his role is uh, just the regional operations manager. But he so he's actually trying to make it less siloed because as you can imagine, big company, everyone's got their piece of it. It's very well defined what you're supposed to do. Uh, but he, you know, he came from outside Siemens, smaller companies for I want to say like 20, 30 years. So he saw an opportunity to kind of inject some PM attention early on. So as it stands now, I'm at, I'm I'm interfacing with the sales folks all the way at the beginning of some of these efforts with the engine, energy engineers who are then kind of the second phase of that to develop uh, the project to show where the savings, you know, whether they're there or not, whether it's a feasible project to hit the, the margin goals. But then really the, the brunt of the work is during the implementation phase, they call it. So basically once the contract's awarded, then it goes to the PM. And I'll, so I'll just, I'll make a distinction there. The senior PM is really just it's part of their development track, really. And so you're, you do have the opportunity at some point to manage more complex or bigger projects. But with me just coming out of the company, you know, in May, it's, I'm, I'm basically acting as a project manager. I will say my background is primarily construction management and public works, things like that. And so this is much more of financial project management. And so they do, you know, the way we, Bid out the projects. Most of the on-site day-to-day stuff is covered by all the subs, right? So you're you're basically making sure that they have all the all the people on site they need to between safety and, and QC and all that. And we're really just overarching. It's kind of a weird hybrid, honestly. It seems like the advent of this sort of model with the guaranteed energy savings. It, I'm, I'm sure it exists elsewhere, but it's really just it's financial project management. And I, I think they expect especially at the senior project manager level, they expect you to have the background and to know what construction management is, understand how that process works, you know, from cradle to grave. Like that was a tangent. So my, <laughs> generally, I'm the implement, implementation phase all, all the way through, you know, commissioning, closeout, things like that, where if something, you know, a tab report comes back, commissioning's not, going to work out, uh, it, it gets kicked back into implementation to fix the problem ultimately. So really it's, it, it's becoming cradle to grave at this point with, with the group I'm with, which I like, I, yeah. I like, you know, we would call it a constructability uh, review with NAFAC, uh, but just, I, I like the ability to at least have a say or to look at it and to say, Hey, I, this is reasonable or, you know, maybe it's way over my head and I don't, I can't add any value, but it's nice to be there from the beginning to to hear the conversations and all of that. So it's very similar to that. It's just, you know, kind of cradle to grave, really shading toward that life cycle project management. That's great. You hit you hit the uh, acronym tab, testing and balancing. I just want to make sure we hit on what that is for maybe an audience that hasn't heard it before. Okay. Yeah, generally HVAC stuff. So, you know, you're you want to make sure that you're you're getting the efficiency out of your rooftop units or whatever it might be water you can do you know it's really just a measure to to make sure your equipment's performing the way it's supposed to ultimately do you own the client are you are you leading the proposal or the the pursuit or is that you know kind of handed off to you so it's it is handed off to me 
generally. However, my boss has told me, you know, don't hesitate to get out there and develop leads. They're so the sales folks are generally the ones out beating the street, you know, generating leads. But uh, it kind of, I it's funny. I, I thought about the opportunities in Haddonfield specifically, right? Because old town, old buildings, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But the sales rep and my team is telling me that New Jersey is very difficult um, to get through the process with. Uh, I can't remember how I described it. It was new to me. This whole energy savings thing is is fairly new. So I, I didn't really understand what he was uh, getting at. But there's the opportunity to generate leads. But ultimately, there's a the sales staff that does that. Got it. And from a, you know, not to put Siemens on the spot, but from a fulfillment and a transition standpoint, you feel like you found an opportunity where you're learning, you're growing, you have opportunity to apply your skills, et cetera. Yeah. Yes, I do. I think, you know, I think that I'm not sure. Are you familiar with, I'm sure most people are Maslow's hierarchy, right? You know, yeah. you, you start, I think once you've been in a career for a while, I don't, I don't think that it's necessarily the job itself that gives you the, the fulfillment there, the self-actualization at the top. I think it's, that you're able to apply yourself to it and to kind of use what you know uh, to benefit whatever the project is. And so I think for me personally, you know, it was was an interesting interview process because I ultimately got into the role through networking. And so I was very fortunate to be able to talk to some national ops managers to kind of, they kind of directed me to the folks who were hiring. And and fortunately, you know, there was one here. So I, uh, New York and New Jersey is the empire zone. You know, I believe that we need to make some changes as far as the way we consume energy and and how we build and and all of that stuff for sustainability, Uh, whether it be for climate change or just aging or whatever it might be. You know, you look at our the average age of our infrastructure versus that in Europe. And granted, they thousands of years difference, but things are just built differently, right, all across the world now. So, I I like that I'm able to kind of participate in that realm where we're kind of just respond. I would call it in general, just responsible, uh, built infrastructure, uh, you know, I I was at a conference two weeks ago and it was, there's two pieces to this. One is the fact that you're in the finance side of, of it. No money, no mission is kind of a slogan we have around here. And this was a mergers and acquisitions conference talking about the state of the industry and, and, where the opportunities are from a business standpoint. And the industry is growing because humanity has a ton of infrastructure problems. If you, you want to talk about energy, you want to talk about resiliency, you want to talk about um, climate change, all of those are having an effect. You, population growth, you can get into you know different micro markets of COVID and how it's, you know, hybrid work environments are changing the real estate landscape. The built environment and one of the sessions was the punchline was basically our industry is solving humanity's biggest challenges right now. So the second part of that is you can't solve those challenges without understanding the economics of how, how, you know, it's not just a huge check that gets written by governments and all of a sudden problems go away. You really have to understand how do you make these, the business case for some of these. And sometimes you just have to make the investment and you know the the ROI is is the bridge doesn't fall down but in your case understanding the ROI of projects i think 
is that much greater when you can understand the financial backbone that allows a project to happen. Um, yeah, for sure. So I think you're sitting in a great place to to learn and grow and and, and understand that. Okay, so now I'm going to ask you to go back and talk to us about how did Tyson get to the point of being able to transition off active duty and go work for Siemens. So take us back as far as you think is is <laughs> applicable to to you know your military roots and and your education and all of that. Yeah, so I grew up in PA uh, over Midwestern Pennsylvania area. Actually, in high school, a family friend had a concrete company. And so over the summers for a few years, I would be schlepping wheelbarrows of concrete, finishing concrete, you know, doing all that fun work. I, I had a blast. I love doing it. So I got a pretty early introduction into the trades. And then so I enlisted in the Marine Corps, ended up becoming a combat engineer which that can, you know, a few different ways you can go with that. But I ended up going to an air wing where I primarily was a carpenter, right? So I, for the five years I was there, we, you know, it's kind of weird because you, Marine Corps, right? Uh, everyone's a rifleman. And so you, part of it is that, like you do some of that security type stuff and all the training, but then we were really fortunate when we deployed, we were getting to build things, you know, we built schools, clinics, things like that uh, in the Middle East. So not, you know, it's not a virtual or something like that, but we still got to do some meaningful stuff there. Decided that when it was time for me to get out, they had just come out with the post 9-11 GI Bill. And so that seemed, you know, they're going to pay me BH plus pay to go to school. Like that sounds like a pretty good deal. So I got out, went to school for electrical engineering at Temple, which I think is also relevant. You know, engineering in general, just problem solving is going gonna, is gonna to transfer pretty well. And then, you know, when I got out of the Marine Corps, I always thought there was you know, never kind of lost sight of the opportunity of going back as an officer. And so that kind of manifested as, you know, the Navy has a civil engineer corps, uh, which is similar to the Army Corps. It's really just public works and construction management, I think is the, maybe the easiest way to kind of with a broad brush, at least describe it. Yeah. Uh, and that's where that's the meat of, you know, the technical project management that I've done was through that time with the Navy. So it really, I, I was really fortunate. I think really every step along the way, I don't know if it's just that I, I was, I don't know that I was even choosing these things because in the Marine Corps, you know, they give you the opportunity to go do a job, but you don't always get what you want. And so I just kept landing in these positions that kind of, you know, I was accumulating the skills and learning things I needed to learn. And so it, it was, it was kind of strange how seamless that transition was. So I think I got really lucky compared to a lot of folks coming out of the military with how transferable the skill set is uh, to something technical. Did a lot of different stuff with the Navy as far as, you know, construction management, public works. And I even worked for the Air Force at the Joint Base doing their version of public works, which is pretty similar, you know, same budgeting process, all that. Um, yeah, just very diverse. Like kind of a big picture view of, I guess you call it a built environment, like how things start from the ground up. And and I what I loved about being with the Corps of Engineers was you get to see the owner side. Yeah. Right. So your your construction management, but from a, you know, in, and in your case, 
the owner is the landlord of you know this huge municipality if you will so they've got tenant issues they've got multifamily or privatized housing issues they've got energy issues and utility issues and missions coming in and looking for you know master planning issues so you really do get such a breadth of processes and and program management across the life cycle of the built environment what what are some of the things that you know some people listening may be you know a, a captain or an e6 getting ready to come off active duty hey you know i need a job i need to figure out where i want to live i need to replace my my money but you know i'm, I'm also I don't want to just sell my soul to to quote the man. What are some of those questions or or reflections that you were having as you were getting off active duty? So for me, a big piece of it, it it was, you know, like you kind of mentioned, not just so for me, I didn't want to chase the highest salary uh, to then be miserable for the rest of my adult life, you know, cause I think you get trapped in those, not to say that you're going to spend all the new money you make, but you know, you base your house purchase on that. You're, it's just kind of like you get stuck in a situation where you get into that comfortable spot and then you can't leave, you know, you're, you're stuck, you're doing finance or something that you didn't want to do. And then, you know, cause you can get in anywhere. I think, honestly, I think it's, it's networking. I think that military folks have, really is their check to write. I think you can kind of make your own path pretty easily. So for me, a big one was not selling out. Like you mentioned, like I wanted to do something that, that I felt was meaningful, uh, that I wouldn't be disgruntled about from at least a mission standpoint. You know, like I want, I want to feel like I'm making a difference or doing something for to better the world, you know, not to make it a worse place at least. It's, you know, after you're in for a while, you don't, I don't think a lot of people think of the military as a lucrative career, but when you're on active duty and you're getting DAH and you've been in for 10, 15 years, it's, it's pretty good to pay and benefits package. And so you, to balance out my previous point, you know, you also have to make sure that you're going to make enough to uh, keep everything, you know, keep the bills paid, keep the family fed, all, all of that stuff. So it was a little bit of a back and forth between those and making enough money, but not just chasing money. But then I think overall, the biggest, the biggest piece of it was just the, it, it just shaded more toward the initial point that, you know, I, I want, this is my one opportunity to kind of start over realistically, because, you know, you, you learn a lot, you gain a lot through the military, but it's brand new, you know, when you, when you start a career. So just making sure that I used that one kind of silver bullet to land myself in a, in a good spot overall. Um, so that I, I think that was the main main thing for me was just realizing like this is my one big opportunity. Because you know maybe maybe not everyone is in the same boat. If you're single, you know, or you are independently wealthy, I'm not sure what you were doing in the military to begin with. But <laughs> you know, there not everybody has the same concerns. But you figure a lot of folks at the 10, 10 years and beyond, like they have kids, they're married, they're, you know, they they have to responsibility. You're know, you gonna make <laughs> keep making the ends meet. So yeah, I think that was it. You had you had probably a little bit more of a direct translation. I, if I don't, if I if I remember correctly, you had done some level of energy savings performance contract work on the government side 
I did. Yep. Yeah. So, so you understood the model. Siemens was a bit of a, of a smooth transition, at least from a conceptual business, you know, content of the work concept. True. hundred percent. Yeah. So I think that was a $40 million uh, ESPC project on base. And so I don't think that I would have been having the conversations with the higher ups at Siemens initially, if I didn't have it on my resume, because yeah, I don't, I don't think that it's, they're not hard concepts to grasp, but it's a whole different world, you know? So I, I think that they liked that they liked that I had spent a few years dealing with that, you know, that I was, yeah. I was familiar with that brain. So I would say, it, yeah, it set me up. That, that was probably the, the single most important thing for this job specifically, just because I landed with the EPS group, the energy performance uh, services. Um, and and sometimes that happens by luck, but to our active duty members that maybe you're maybe you're two, three, five, seven years away from getting off active duty, try to network internally inside of your organization, inside of your branch to find those those utilization assignments or operational tours that expose you to a different part of the a different part of the military because there's a lot of a lot of those roles are active duty and you can get exposed like Tyson did and set yourself up to be a little bit more marketable to, to the private sector when you get off active duty. Any comment? Yeah, and I would say, Tyson? so I realize now that that was maybe, so because of the way I painted that there, it sounds like I just had this like golden parachute transition that we're going to get that. But I'll say, you know, there were even within, I'll just use Siemens, right? Because that's the company that I'm working for. There are other groups at Siemens that another service member could go to. And I've seen it. Some of the, my peers have gotten out and gone to, you know, they're very big, the health and ears group, you know, they're building hot. So they do, they do build buildings generally, but the healthcare equipment, uh, they've got fire alarm, health, life safety type systems. Um, so there are a lot of opportunities outside of just the energy performance uh, savings. And I think project management, construction management in general, it's very helpful to, to understand, to have had a little bit of background in it. But I will say the, the skill set that you're building in the military is directly translatable and you can learn a skill set. You know, you're realistically, if you're, if you're working construction management, you're going to have folks on your team who are the SMEs, right? Who know the QC, QA folks, like they know what they're looking for. And so, you know, you're not, when you're, when you even, once you cross the cross threshold from construction to construction management, you're not picking up a hammer anymore. You're not uh, the one sweating in the ditch. So you, I think you have, I got, I spelled out my very specific path and I, I think I've been fortunate because it was, it was very, very narrow kind of thing that I landed in, but all service members have a, a whole lot going for them. Like you said, I think I got my job through networking. And so it really is much more like if you've, if you've seen some of the sites like Indeed or uh, LinkedIn or whatever, you'll see a you know, thousand applicants for a job or something crazy it's like how do you even hope to set yourself apart and granted you know your resume becomes important like where did you go to school what did you do but if you know somebody that you can hand your resume you're you that's half the battle that you know just getting into an interview i think that's the if you can get there through someone you know just have a phone call with someone at a company you're you're on their radar now and so it's your you know it's 
your opportunity to go after, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Talk to us about a leadership lesson from the military that you've been able to apply in your role at Siemens. So they, I had a Milcon, a military, so a military construction project, basically it's appropriated by Congress specifically. They know, so when you get to that point, generally it's because a project is above a dollar threshold. So at the time, this is a $7 million Milcon new construction and renovation of an existing building. So this project, BJ, I'm sure you know, what happens in military construction world is you have a whole bunch of projects on the shelf and the budget's only going to allow for so much. And so stuff gets lopped off of a project. And so some of the cost savings measures they attempted to use on this project I had were uh, they wanted they wanted to do a design bid build. I had an in-house design team who was geographically separate from the execution team. It was in the Hampton Roads area in Virginia. So, you know, you go, it's a very dense area, military presence, but, you know, they're down in the Norfolk area and we were up on the peninsula. And so it made it, that was, you know, part of the challenge as well as just not, not being on the same page a lot of times. But so what I, you know, I kind of knew you learn this and it's just reinforced over time. But I think the big thing there is um, that one hand wasn't ultimately is not talking to the other. I'm not sure if that's the right saying. Um, they, so the folks who are designing the project, they're planning this thing 10 years out. And that's a lot, honestly a lot of times it's seven, 10 years out that these milcons happen for the planning phase, sometimes longer than that, because they, they'll recognize there's a need. However, there are a, a lot more very important needs that, you know, uh, rise, rise to the threshold first. And so, you know, you got a project that's on the shelf, finally comes up, estimate may be good because it's seven to 10 years old. Uh, this one wasn't. <laughs> and so in, in the time that it took to get this thing awarded, we, I think we, we issued probably a million dollars in change orders on this thing just because the design was bad, the, the design team. I, it's not that they took shortcuts. I just think they weren't prepared for the effort. But so it's just really design bid build, geographical separation, complex project. I think what I learned out of that is that it's incredibly important for everyone in a project team to be on the same page. Uh, and so it, it's funny, we just talked about this, but for me now as a project manager being in on the sales portion of, of these endeavors, it gives me the opportunity to kind of to at least talk to the folks and and provide them my my as much of a sanity check as I can. So you know, not to say I, I work with great with a great team, but the sales folks specifically, they're they're incentivized by the projects they sell, right? And so you've got folks who the more they can sell, the better they do. But by the time those energy conservation measures or facility improvement measures, whatever you want to call them, by the time they get through the engineering analysis process, they might not be winners. You know, they might be costing you money because you're never going to make your money back on them. So I think the, the lesson learned was just constant communication, kind of holistic communication from cradle to grave. Yeah. And so I just, I don't think I've mastered it, but I continue to strive to just make sure that if I'm going to be involved in the project, I, I want to know at the right, you know, as early as possible, 
just what's going on, what's what are we implementing? Uh, is it realistic? Uh, or what are the unforeseen, you know, what are the risks, right, with these specific uh, energy measures? Yeah, so I, I think that's it. It's just constant communication, honestly. I couldn't agree more that, and and that's both with with all stakeholders, right? There's team members, there's client, there's you know the, the many people that can end up on the owner's side. Um, communication, expectation management, and and keeping everybody on the same page, and and challenging, you know, murder boarding the solution sometimes to identify risks or at least challenge people to to consider risks. Great lesson. Inspiring People in Places is brought to you by MCFA. MCFA is a CVE-verified, service-disabled, veteran-owned small business. At MCFA, our why is to inspire people in places through project leadership. We provide planning, strategy, program management, and construction management support services to a wide variety of public and private sector clients. Switching gears, any favorite quotes? Yeah, my favorite quote is good. The Jocko Willing quote. <laughs> so I'm not sure if you're familiar. Uh, I am. I'll, I will put it on the, it's such a good, I, I will hyperlink the, the YouTube video or something on the show notes. Yeah, so good. Quote. And it's really the, you got to watch the video because it's, it's super moto and gets you hyped. But it's really just, he's telling this story about how one of his subordinates uh, come to him with a problem and he just says, good. You know, and then it just, it keeps the guy eventually uh, comes in with a problem and says, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, good, that's what you always say. And, and really it's just, and he goes into it, he kind of expands on it to say that, you know, every, everything you view as less than ideal really is an opportunity for you to grow. So I think it's ultimately, it's the, it's kind of the, the most succinct way to express the growth mindset, honestly. Yeah, it's I agree. Really yeah, I think that's my favorite. That and the the man in the arena, Teddy Roosevelt quote. It's not a critic who counts. So I have that sitting here somewhere up above my uh, shelf over there for those <laughs> that, that may or may not end up on video here. Yeah, there you go. How do I point it? All right. If you could have a dinner party with three people dead or alive, who would they be? So I kind of... I had a hard time with this, uh, thinking about this, but I decided to go with U.S. presidents just because, you know, they all lived through very specific times in history. And so the first two are kind of in the same vein. I would invite uh, Thomas Jefferson and Ronald Reagan because they both, obviously Jefferson, his founding father, and then Reagan, I think mostly, you know, through what he lived through the Cold War and the economic stuff, honestly, is what interested interested me most. But I kind of just want to ask those two guys, like, did, is this what you expected? Or what now? <laughs> yeah. Where do we go from here? Because I think, you know, Jefferson was pretty clear about some of his views on economics, at least. And I think that I, I feel like I, that's the one I most would want to hear is kind of to show someone like that what where we are now. So, like, hey, is this what, what happened? Like, is this what you wanted? Like, <laughs> yeah. Is this the vision? Um, yeah. And then the third one is Teddy Roosevelt, mostly because I think he would just be a great hang. We'd go shoot a moose and then do some jujitsu and who knows what else. Like he, I read some stories about just like the, the type of person he was, like he was very, 
vigorous, interesting person. So I think that, that would be the three of them. I like it. How about favorite book or most gifted book? So I got two on this one as well. So my, I think the one I would, if I had to recommend one, I guess it really depends on the audience, but Start With Why by Simon Sinek. I think that it is a way, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a big book about really figuring out why you're doing what you're doing, right? Like make sure you're always starting with the reason why you're doing something. And so for, we, you and I talked about it. The reason you're in the industry is because you interacting in the built environment, you're seeing, you're bettering the world. Hopefully, you know, you're seeing that you're seeing what you're doing or what you're a part of very visceral opportunity. And he does go into the, was it the how and the what, like, what are we making or what are we doing? And then how do we do it? And so his, with that triangle, he just kind of focused on making sure you understand why you're doing what you're doing. And I think it's something in the military you don't really have to worry about. Cause I think even if you, you know, you've got the mission <laughs> and even if you don't particularly agree with the mission, you have your brothers and sisters in arms, right? Like you're in it together. So you're downrange or wherever you might be. Uh, and you're just in it together. And so it's kind of built in the whole why I think throughout. And that's, I feel like that's, that's important for someone coming out uh, of the military. It's important to recognize that you're not always going to have that kind of built in uh, maybe it's implicit motivation or intrinsic motivation but it's just not always there you know like you're there are jobs where you do them and you do them because they pay you money and that's it <laughs> there's not well, I, I think to your point though as leaders and as individuals and leading ourselves even we can create that meaning or that why in in what we're doing and and I think it is important. I, to your point, whether it's because it is the noblest calling or because we've been taught and trained to believe it's the noblest calling, that's I think that's some level of internal branding that that the military has done very well, right? The the calling to defend your nation or support and defend your nation, it, it's noble. And having a career there. To your point, every time you put the uniform on and you belong to that higher calling, you can feel good whether you're sweeping the motor pool or you're shooting bad guys in, in a far off land, you're doing something on behalf of the country. And I think that, that I believe, is the hardest thing for people to replace when you take the uniform off. And yeah. I do think that we have the opportunity individually and, you know, luckily me with a company to kind of put that front and center in why we're doing what we're doing. And you can look at your job as a chance to make money or as a chance to to make the world a more energy efficient place and a school system to, you know, that school school system that kids get educated in or a healthcare system where patients get treated to make that a safer, more comfortable place of learning and yeah. more sustainable or more efficient or, you know, name the cause or, or name the purpose. I, I think that we all as leaders have the opportunity to tie a bigger why to what we do, what we do and, and create transformational opportunities instead of transactional opportunities. 
Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think the you you have the opportunity to implement that anywhere, like you said. And yeah, you you can build that community anywhere. All right. So that was one. You said you have two. The second one. So everybody knows extreme ownership from Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. Um, I'm personally partial to the dichotomy of leadership because it is, if you haven't read it, it's ultimately, you know, imagine extreme ownership comes out and then Jocko gets beat up because he says, wait a minute, not everybody's a Navy SEAL. And uh, so it's really just, it shows the balance in, uh, it shows how, you know, kind of the balance you should be pursuing in leadership. And so, you know, mission first, but people always kind of is one of the themes and, and stuff like that. So I really appreciated that because it, Extreme Ownership, as much as I like that book, and I, I really feel like that is important, you know, obviously MCFA does too. It's it's also incredibly important, especially as you get, you know, as you're climbing the ladder, as you get to a place where you're leading people, you need to understand moderation and balance and all of those things. Uh, and I think that that book, just because of what it is and because it's a response to the first book, I think it does a little better job of painting a more comprehensive picture of what would I strive for? You know, I think it's a really good model, I think, for leadership. I could not agree more. I mean, extreme ownership is a core value at MCFA. And, and one of the very first times, the teamwork is also a core value at MCFA. And those two on the surface look like they are in opposition to each other. Oh, extreme ownership, I've got to do everything. <laughs> and teamwork is like, be part of a team. And I, I think that the dichotomy of leadership allows kind of all, I'll call it laws of leadership to, to exist on a spectrum. And the most capable leaders understand that spectrum and understand that the application of leadership principles are environment and people dependent, meaning sometimes I need to show complete compassion to a human being when I'm leading them. Other times, I need to show complete accountability to a group of people to to get performance, and and that's one of many examples. I I appreciate you bringing that up. I, I think it's I think it's a great book. We will put it in the show notes. Last question is, how do you want to be remembered? What do you want on your tombstone? Well, I feel like with the all this stuff that they're doing with biohacking and all that. I, I don't, don't feel like I really have to worry about dying, but if it happens, so I think he left it better than he found it. <laughs> we'll keep it basic. I think, yeah, in general, I just want to, for me, per, my, me personally, you know, I, I would feel good if I made an appreciable difference in a few people's lives. And I think, I think that's kind of what drives me in this industry, at least is to, you know, you're putting a lot of positions where you have that opportunity to improve things. And I think, you know, generally we're not we're really, we're not, unless you're building prisons, you know, <laughs> we're not really building a lot of things that are going to cause uh, hate and discontent. So I think, you know, work for the right company, obviously, but it's just this community, this industry allows you, I think, to, to act on that and to, to leave it better than we found it. Awesome. Close us out. Any any parting thoughts or things we didn't cover that you'd like to leave with our audience? So I just I think that the main thing is I, number one, network. 
don't get discouraged by all of the craziness online. Even LinkedIn, you know, you see some influencers on there that'll tell you you're not grinding hard enough or the whatever. You you should be focusing on if you you know if you're about to transition, think about what your skill sets are, think about what you want to do, and then figure out a path to get there. And I think it's it seems like my there were so many opportunities that I had to that I couldn't pursue when I was getting out because they're there you just can't do all of them. You don't have time to yeah. take advantage of all the transition opportunities. I was actually I was very I was in the application process to do corporate fellowship program, which is part of Skillbridge, and I just happened to have a conversation that led to the current job. Um, and so I would say, networking is the most direct way to get where you want to go. Uh, you certainly can't apply and go through the that process. I think the hard what you'll find is the hard part is translating your skills. So put time into that. Make sure that you're looking up even if it's just looking at the job description and ask and seeing what they require in the position you know figure out how to word your experience in their terms so that you're at least on a level playing field to get past that um basically filter you know to get to get onto the to the interview phase because i think that we've all all through the, all of us through the military have we've gone through pretty tough times i think you develop you really, you can't make it out unscathed, you know, with an honorable discharge if you're not at least a decent human being most of the time. And so I think we we all kind of have those uh, soft skills that don't really show well on a resume. So, you know, network, try to get in front of people, take advantage of the opportunities while they're there. I think if you can do SkillBridge, do it. I think that that's a really good opportunity for right now. And, and more and more companies are climbing on board with that. I've, I've seen it through, you know, through LinkedIn or wherever, even job postings. Now, if you look, if you are on job boards, you'll see that people are listing SkillBridge opportunities specifically. So yeah. it seems like the transition should get a little easier, I think, when, because you have, you know, all of those programs give you the opportunity to kind of feel it out and you interview and you, you rack and stack where you want to go, that type of thing. But yeah, if you already know, I just network, send send messages on LinkedIn or go to networking events, do, do, do what you can to, to meet the right people, to just show them in person who you are. Because I don't, I feel like a lot of times a resume can't do that. You, um, yeah. it's very difficult um, to show, you know, your critical thinking skills, your, you know, eye, eye contact, shaking someone's hand. Like you can't do that on a resume. And yeah, so, I agree communication 100 percent. yeah you can't you, you can teach people skills right but there are certain things you can't teach and i think the military they the, it, the military grinds those things into you i would say it doesn't really teach them to you you're it's just instilled i think it's the difference between uh, teaching and instilling something but you just have it i think whether you realize it or not it's a it's a vulnerable time for sure because you're you go from being in a position where you are probably doing well, like you're, you know, making your way up the leadership ladder. And now you're about to go start out somewhere new. And so I think any, any take advantage of all the things you can, but yeah, just try to get in front of people and talk to them and show them um, kind of how you operate in person. And I think that that'll open doors for sure. Um, more than just getting into the, the whole 
doom spiraling on, you know, resumes and online applications and a thousand different cover letters, all that stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Tyson Barnhart, thank you for your service and thanks for taking the time with us today. Thanks, BJ. Appreciate it. Hey, everybody. If you're enjoying this show, do us a favor and subscribe to Inspiring People and Places on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast hosting platform. We'd also greatly appreciate if you left us a review and shared this with other entrepreneurial public servants and all your friends and family in the AEC space. Be sure to visit our website, www.mcfaglobal.com. Sign up for our newsletter to stay in touch with us and learn about all of the projects and clients we're helping. Last but not least, we are hiring. We are always hiring. Do us a favor. Take a look at what jobs we have open. Contact us through our website or connect with me on LinkedIn. Until next time, have a great rest of your week and a great weekend.